James Mann, and my co-host and good friend, Matthew Spires. Happy to be here as always. Are we keeping that at the bit of the beginning then? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's said no. <laughs> um, yeah, welcome to this week's episode. We're, we're back in Matt's apartment. We're, we're just chilling, right? Chilling. It's, yeah, it's been good. Relaxing, relaxing. Yeah, it's been, a, been an alright week in, in NI politics news. Yeah, I mean, it's been a middling in terms of, like, news, I guess, in general. I mean, I think there's definitely been stuff, like, that's been relatively interesting if you're into it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a few, there's a few good stories. Um, just before we launch it on that, Matt, how are you? Doing well. I'm having a nice, nice time. I said I didn't have a great sleep last night for some reason, but that's <sighs> besides from the point. I think people listen to the first five minutes of this and just think we just talk about politics. Yeah. Probably. Probably. <laughs> no, we're just, just always having a good shot. Um, you're away next week, though. I'm away next week. You're going to have to get someone else to, to show up. Yeah. Um, listeners, I think that we already have a guest speaker lined up. Um, probably just going to do like another roundup type episode. And we'll do like a mini interview. Um, hint, it's a person we've had on before and we consider them a, a good friend of the show. Uh, but I need to double confirm that they're still <laughs> willing to do it. But, but they said they're, they're willing to uh, in principle to do it <laughs> just principle. need to tie them down yeah but yeah let's 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 get uh straight into the stories and see what's happening around this part of the world um so i think the the big uh political news this week is jeffrey donaldson's comments um he said that he will be running uh to be an mla in yeah. the next assembly election um, in Lagan Valley specifically, he said that that's the key bit of news there. Yeah. Now, this is a uh, this is interesting for multiple reasons, because if so, you're gonna have three P- DUP candidates running in Lagan Valley, all of them huge names. You have obviously Jeffrey. Yeah, Jeffrey. Paul Gavin, who's currently first minister, mm-hmm. former first minister and former DUP leader Edmund Foots. Mm-hmm. It's a the DP currently only have two seats there. Yeah. The weakest seat there, Pat Catney, probably the most likely to go, but you'll have both the UUP and Alliance challenging for that. So it'll, it's going to be a tight race in Lagan Valley, and it's definitely going to be the one to watch out for. Now, on back of Donaldson specifically saying that he will be running as an MLA next year, why it's newsworthy is because a few months earlier he previously said that. By around this time, he was going to be an MLA, indicating that when he first joined, he thought he would just be able to co-op the seat, kick somebody else out, and take it from there. So we're already seeing an internal division, an internal battle here. Nobody's willing to budge to give Jeffrey a seat. Mm-hmm. Even a Jeffrey supporter, nobody's willing to budge to give him a seat. And I think this is a very clear challenge that Donaldson has to then think, 
I maybe don't have full control over my party just yet. He might also be thinking it'll be more legitimate if I get elected in by voters instead of co-opting a seat. And thirdly, maybe he just he knows Lagan Valley well and he's just banking that people are going to put him first and foremost compared to who his other, uh, his other colleagues in both Paul and Edwin. So there, there's a couple of things to read into there. It, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting case for Donaldson. Um, he's also recently taken up the job. Uh, he was appointed by Prime Minister Boris Johnson to be the trade envoy for Cameroon. Well, and he, he's also the trade envoy for Egypt, which he yeah. has been for multiple years. Uh, Suzanne Bring was able to hear from some uh, members within the, uh, the DUP that there's a fear that he's spreading himself too thin. He's supposed to, he says that all his focus is in rebuilding the DUP and Northern Ireland. But here we are, we see him be, being trade envoy for half of Africa at the moment. Yeah. So... He says he hasn't stretched himself too thin. He could do it all, but... How much, how much goes into being a trade envoy? Just out of someone who doesn't have a lot of knowledge of what the actual day-to-day... Not, not an occupation. A real lot, no. but most of the meetings are done virtually. You don't right. need to be there in person. And if so, you only have to go out when there's delegations right. have to be made. So it's a very... it's. I think he's only been a few times to Egypt, so it's not... An incredibly time-consuming role, yeah. Which you think it would be like? I think there, there's well, a. Qu- is there a lot of trade between the UK and Cameroon? Like, is there? Maybe I'm just naive to it. Um, I don't know. I, yeah. I doubt it is as much as our neighbours no. in Europe or or even across the border in the Republic. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. It's an interesting case for Donaldson. A lot going on and a lot to read into it. Matt, do 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 you think he's stretching himself too thin, throughout these appointments? Uh. No, pro- I doubt that this one would be the one that would break his back. You know what I mean? Like, I doubt mm. this would be the... As you're saying, like, it's... You know, maybe it sounds like a couple more Zoom meetings and, uh, you know, uh, maybe every, every once in a blue moon he's going to go out to... Mm. to I mean, that, if that's it, then that's, like, literally just what every other politician has to do every so often. Like, just uh, a couple more Zoom meetings and go into another meeting a year. Like, obviously, I mean, he, he's also, you know, he's, it's not like he's... First minister as well, like or nothing right now. No, he did say though that when he becomes, well, if he becomes yeah. MLA, and inevitably first minister, he would drop the trade envoy roles. So then, yeah, I think it's fine now. Yeah, but I, I, what also makes me question is why take up that position if you know if you're hoping that you're only going to be yeah. in it for eight just, months. Uh, yeah. Is it a ceremonial thing? Help to bolster his image. Yeah. Saying, look at all how much trade I've brought into the UK. Probably. I guess to say, guess to say that he's, he was trade envoy for two different places for the UK government. Mm. Probably sounds good. Yeah, it does sound good. Yeah. I mean, I don't does he really need anything more in a CV. Like, I feel like, I mean, he's probably already pretty all right in, yeah. that, in, in that department. He's, he's, he's won the leadership election. All he needs now is to win the public election. I mean, the thing which you more worry about is the fact that he's, he doesn't seem to be... that. that well, at least pu- at least in public terms, it doesn't seem like much is being made in terms of how he's changing the party internally mm. to make it any more feasible or like any more together right now. Yeah, it's it's still been very hush hush within the DUP camp. Yeah, like Arling Foster still hasn't stepped down. No, that's her role of MLA. 
I st- I don't even think we're particularly clear as of yet if she's still a member of the DUP. Yeah. Ellen Page is still rocking about as well. But the the more interesting thing of Arlene is she, if she's still getting still first minister. Still first minister. <laughs> like, I thought ever that was potentially going to be the shortest first minister ever yeah. in the history of uh, Northern Ireland that we fought for a while, but yeah, no, that's, here we are. But yeah, it's. What I was going to say with Arlene, though, is if she's still an MLA, but if she's an independent right now, then her seat can't be co-opted when she leaves, whenever mm. that is. Yeah. So she might just be hanging on till the next election. Yeah. Or what do we have with... If she is in the DUP, nobody's told her, you're out. Yeah. So if she is a member of the DUP, Donaldson either hasn't A, had the courage, or B, doesn't want the publicity... Of getting rid of her even more so. It's because he, he and her maybe are slightly on the same side, maybe. Potentially, yeah, because they were both former UUP. Yeah, uh, yeah they, they both seem. It seemed like Arlene probably was slightly more on the side of wanting Jeffrey. Jeffrey is an ex leader than Poots, it yeah. seemed like, whenever things were going on. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, maybe. He doesn't want to risk that relationship. Yeah, really. maybe it's also just like a, a thing, like maybe he doesn't actually. Maybe he doesn't actually care if she. Maybe she. He'd be fine with her staying, like, or maybe. Yeah. Unless she might reinstate. Her I mean, because I, I imagine she would do. She does probably relatively well election wise if it comes to it. Mm-hmm. And if she's still in the DUP, so why get rid of somebody who does relatively well election? Yeah. Speaking though about um, people leaving and coming and co-options and all that fun stuff, um, yeah. we just heard news today, uh, confirmation that. Both of Sinn Féin's foil MLAs, Karen Mullen and Martina Anderson, are stepping down uh, before the Assembly comes back from recess on the 13th of September. So what we have then is 10 Sinn Féin members who have been co-opted out of 26, i.e. people the public have not directly voted for. Karen Mullen and Martina have been have been co-opted yeah. in the past in within this mandate. So originally people voted for two foil MLAs for Sinn Féin, had them replaced by Martina and Karen, who are now going to be replaced themselves. I just think it's uh, th- this constant co-option. There's a bit of a lack of direct democracy yeah. in, in the North, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, but we've known about this kind of thing or sorry in terms of the the Sinn Féin element of it I mean I, I think this has been news that's kind of already been somewhat you know known of them mm. both probably leaving we, we, we maybe not as soon as yeah it's it, it's the new the news here is that it was sooner rather than later yeah that it was we want to get this done as soon as possible which feels slightly strange um maybe it's just like they, they just see it as if we get someone in as soon as possible so we can start gearing up for the next election and, you know, really try and hold on to or try and gain in the foil, you know, like try and gain in that election area. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, is that realistic? I don't know. Do they have competent people to come in and, and, and actually, because the, the whole thing is like in that area, Sinn Féin was, has been so weak and the, or not that in that bullet, but recently, and there's kind of been a trend of them losing support in that area. Yeah. Due to maybe what we, th- what, well, certainly whenever I was talking about last time, what I, I guess we both th- theorized was possibly because they've 
maybe seen it as like a, a bit of a given that they get that area. So you know, it's like it's it's like with most political parties, whenever you see something as given, you kind of like feel like you almost don't need to. Yeah, you don't need to put as much effort into yeah. it. Yeah, I, I think in a lot of ways, we don't we don't we don't know who's going to replace them just yet. Uh, nominations open for that later this week, I believe Thursday. Yeah, I mean they need clearly to like there needs to be just more than just like a change of two people. I'd imagine if they want to improve in that area, they need to change. Oh, the yeah. way they're approaching the whole, you know, strategy in that area. Yeah, but look, this for them this could possibly be the step in the right direction. Yeah. You know, obviously we don't know who's going to be replacing them just yet. Uh, I would assume it'll be two councillors that they're confident in, or it might be people from outside Foyle slash Derry itself, yeah. that, just to bring some new life into the area, and maybe to give them a chance, you know, that six or seventh month chance before the election to see how they're doing, and if they're not performing as well as Sinn Féin would like them to, yeah. they can bring two others in for that election. So it's a, it, I think it's a very smart tactical move by Sinn Féin, mm-hmm. um, allows these new names to build up some confidence. Uh, yeah, that, right, so the point you were making about the democracy, what was that? Well, what, what I'm saying there is, while, while it is, I believe for the uh, system here, the reason we don't uh, do another election when somebody steps down is because it's to stop the imbalance of it just becoming first past the post yeah. and henceforth majority rule in the area. So let's take fictional area, right? It's 80%. Uh, nationalist, twenty percent unionist, or no, let me reword that: seventy percent nationalist, twenty percent unionist, ten percent other. Right. So the idea, let's say you had, with those numbers, you had five seats. Let's say four of them were nationalist um, MLAs, and one of them is unionist. If the unionist member drops out, I don't say, say I don't know. He he just doesn't want to be a politician anymore. He or she doesn't want to be a politician anymore. It, it would then just simply be a first-past-the-post for his decision. Henceforth, the majority in that area, 70% nationalist, yeah. you would then return another nationalist seat. Henceforth, that 20% of unionists within that area would completely lose out on any representation. So that's why we do co-option here. <laughs> the interesting thing, though, is we now have over 30 members of Stormont who have been co-opted. Yeah. That's a shockingly high number that the public have not voted for when it comes to a member of the Assembly. Right. And what I'm saying is here, we're potentially losing a bit of di- direct democracy from the voter to the politicians we elect. Right. Um, what we're more so relying on now is we're not so just electing for individuals, we're electing for parties who then manage who that person is. Yeah. You, could, you could argue that that's been the case for years, but in terms of direct representation of voter one has voted for this individual because right. they like this individual there's a lack of that happening right i don't know i i understand the point you're making but in my mind uh, i probably would that's nah, it's not i mean i don't i think we live in like kind of a oh, i'm to say this is like a bit of a, a dumb thing to say but we live in a unique place <laughs> we live in a in a strange place but i think the 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 issue that I'm trying to make in my head right now of it, which I'm still somewhat formulating as I speak, which is why I'm having such issues trying trying to get it out accurately, is for one thing, I mean, people do vote, vote for political parties here. 
probably not for individuals if we're being like completely honest yeah no i, I, but, uh, I would argue that's the case that's but... not the only point i'm going to make because i think that's you pretty much already mm. you know admitted that yourself um what, what am i trying to say here <laughs> <laughs> Oh, actually, need a second. Mafia gets owned on podcasts. <laughs> I'm trying to like think of how you say it. This is a dead air, folks. As Matt tries to formulate his thought here, I'm gonna cut it out to make myself sound smart. <laughs> no one will know. What What are you trying to say? Like, <sighs> that's the thing. I forgot it completely. I fucking forgot. Are you trying to say like, um, um. Like, it's a, if we don't really vote, we vote on, like, their policies and principles, which you think when they're all in a party, they would share anyway? It was, it, it was, right, so so I think what I would say is it was kind of to add on to the unique system or the, the unique place. I think then we have, like, a unique system that is in place that we all kind of understand and we all kind of know why it works the way it works. So whenever we, we are talking about, like, a democratic, uh, a, a lack of direct democracy we go into our system knowing that we are giving up some of that direct democracy for what we have built to make sure that we have a democracy at all and we've had like a recent thing of a very unstable stormant mm-hmm. we've had a couple of years which i mean which is a thing which actually our system probably does actually allow for is a certain amount of instability yeah to a certain degree but we are very unstable sometimes and sometimes that comes through yeah so my, my issue then is I think there has to be an acceptance right now of the fact we've had a couple of unstable years. Yes, we've had this thing of co-opting, but co-opting is there for like a reason. And then whenever we get them in the in our system, like co-opting is actually kind of a good thing to a certain degree. No, I no, I, I agree uh, as well that co-option is a good thing. Yeah. But I still think my point stands that there is a lack of direct democracy between the public and the direct individuals yeah. they are voting for right, on election right. day I, I get where you're coming from because without co-options you would horribly imbalance the assembly i'm not just i i wouldn't say that's just my point i'm saying that the system that we have that has been built and look this isn't just me saying like oh all hail the good friday agreement <laughs> <laughs> but i think there are very necessary parts of it and i think it, that we go into this system knowing that we are giving up part of that you know, you, what direct you mean, democracy. What do you mean by that? We're giving up some direct democracy. Because we all, we, we go, if, if we almost see as the system as like, as basic, if, if I'm going to be like the, the first year politics, then we go into it as like a social contract. We go in all together and we say, all right, here's the things we agree together to like develop our society around. Like whenever we go into government and whenever we give our, our part of our, you know, you know our liberties away and you know we give blah 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 away well i think northern Ireland is an example of that where we say all right for us all to come together and live as a, as a one single community one single society one you know bigger entity we all have to come together and we all had to say because of the way that you know our history has developed right we're, we're gonna have to give away some things here lads, <laughs> because we all can't agree on this right and part of that what we had to give away was saying you know all right, because of the way that our locate, the way that we are locationally mixed up, mm-hmm. we have to accept that this kind of thing of like, and due to the instability that we have in our politics, where people will be swapped out, that we have to deal with, you know, kind of co-op. maybe I'm, you know, I, I sort of, I get where you're coming from, but I also disagree because I, I would I, argue, I think that's fair. <laughs> I, I would argue that's no different to like any major liberal democracy. Like, right. take England for example, right. And you have a vibe with Labour and Conservative. Right. P- 
people obviously if let's let's break it down to a class system right i'm not saying this is the way it works i'm just breaking it down into a concept yeah. to show other places have a similar thing so let's say you have like loads of working class people in an area 80 percent 90 percent rich same thing occurs first past the post co-option right. bloody bloody blah how is that different than here per se if because in England it doesn't happen. If somebody steps down, you go to the polls again, right. giving voters another chance to directly elect the person they want. Even though, yes, we ju- we more so go by party. Yeah. But I I don't I don't I don't really get your point. Because of... England has three hundred. I I don't remember exactly. You know the maths of how long they've been building up their system and how long they've had their been allowed to build up their system. And and as I say, that social contract together. Where they all agree to be in this, you know, kind of democratic system that works this way. We even had that. But how, but how does that differ from direct election of the, of, you know, the politician? I, I don't I'm get just, what you're trying to... Maybe I'm really being dumb here. No, I think, I think it's just both of us just trying to figure out each other. Right now. <laughs> I, so, so ask your question. So I understand what you're asking. Why in your mind is here different compared to elsewhere? And what social... Because we things are we losing from being here that's what i don't get and why is in your mind that you see it as we're not losing a direct no i think democracy. i think we are okay but i think that i think that's a a fine thing to lose whenever it's in the face whenever it's in the face of what our situation is or not what our situation was but what our situation was and what we're coming out of but how does our situation in the past stop us now because the reason I said of like you get disproportionate yeah well clearly that's a big part of it yeah yeah but then I, I think also there's an element well yeah I think that's the core of what it is but why I'm saying why, why I'm fine with that and why I'm fine with us losing some of our direct oh, democracy right, okay, okay, okay. is because of the fact that I'm I have like an appreciation not that I because that sounds like a dick to, uh, <laughs> uh, you know me being like oh I have an appreciation and I don't <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's not what I meant to say what I'm trying to say is like I I, I just have an acceptance for the fact that right, like, okay, okay, that yeah. like we're not at a place where, you know, we can just like have just like a normal system. Oh right. no, yeah, I completely, I actually completely agree with where you're coming yeah, yeah, from. Yeah. Just took us a lot of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what? I think because <laughs> I'm, I put it in such like stupid terms of like a social contract and all that. <laughs> yeah, you lost me there. No, yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah, yeah, hopefully you got something out of that discussion, folks. Yeah. Um, other good bits of policy that really wasn't picked up uh, by any of the major broadsheets really was a new regional mental health crisis service. Yeah. But that's going to be regional, so everybody's going to have lovely access to that, which is great. If it works. Then, if it yeah. works. But essentially, um, this came about from the Mental Health Action Plan that was done by the Department of Health. I believe there's a consultation and everything for it, and those people got back and responded to it. Right. But... but Yep. Mental health crisis centres are going to be about the country, going to be offering support, going to hopefully get less people into the position where they have to go to A&E and they can just go directly to these crisis centres to... I was trying to reduce the amount of time it get, it takes to get to the crisis centre or something as well, or time, time it takes to, you know, access the crisis centre. Or to access medical intervention. Yeah, access, you know, whatever help it is you need, I assume, in that situation. It's, it's, well, it's what you want to say. <laughs> is it, are they? When is the time frame for it? When are they coming about? I don't know. I, I haven't read into it mm-hmm. to to like that massive a, of a degree. I just I think it did it come out today or yesterday. Yeah, it came out very recently, but um, yeah, 
it's it's just a good policy initiative that we feel like should be highlighted. It should be celebrated, yeah. and for a place which has some of the highest uh, ill mental health in the UK and Ireland, mm-hmm. to see that uh, work's been uh, the work's been done yeah. to help tackle it, I think I think is a great thing to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, it's just a nice thing to hear. I mean, I guess one thing which you could talk about on it is like it's. It actually is like something that was actually promised in a strategy that's come through now. Yes, because you 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 have a real bone to pick with. Yeah, I mean we're not going to do the whole big chat about it right now if you don't want. Like, but we we, <laughs> we could touch on it a bit because I think it deserves its own podcast. For, yeah, where we. Where you you have more of the formulated ideas. I need to get more of my own on it, but just to do a bit of tip of the iceberg stuff on it. Yeah. You you have sometimes quite a problem with strategies here and don't always believe that while while they're done in the best of faith it's yeah. just a paper exercise yeah i think sometimes it's like a little it can it can feel like a bit of a bureaucratic like a like a bureaucratic pushing down the line of an issue sometimes mm. it can feel it can feel i'm all for like having a really in-depth plan of what you want to do and having it all set up in stages but but i mean the the fact is that too often times especially in uh, uh, obviously associated with mental health and stuff like the suicide strategies and stuff like that they'll make the plan they'll feel on you, you know they'll fall behind on all their strategies just mean they fall behind on you know other other parts of the strategy and it kind of is a knock-on effect of you know inability to make anything move and then they do like you know a review of it and the review <coughs> the review says oh you did this this that and you need to like hear the recommendations for it they release a new one and then you get either new problems or you get the same problems and you know, nothing still gets done about it, and there's clearly just like a, an inability within many parts of uh, of the system that aren't being addressed. Especially, I think it, too many times do people just go like, "Oh, here's like an issue. We need a little bit more information on it," or we, it's not the fact that we don't need more information on it. The fact is that you know it's it's just kind of like a difficult issue, so we're just gonna like put up a strategy for it and just like. You know, it, it like it pushes it down the line. It's Wait like, for the next minister to talk with. It takes like a year for you know strategy to happen, and it takes like a year for like a whole consultation process to go on. It's yeah, it's like a difficult thing to write, and it's like a you know, even if we're going to like the minutiae of it, it, I might, I mean, imagine I must have to like get like you know, anytime you look at a strategy, it's got all these graphs and all yeah. that. How long does it take to do those graphs for a little every bit? Mm-hmm. Like that, and then you do the writing, and then you do the do the chats with everyone and then you got to like actually then release it and like talk about it whenever you're releasing and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, it's like, and I think it works very well in England or in Westminster. They're very good with the strategies and the strategies actually are very helpful. I just don't know if we're using them in the most effective way. And maybe it's, maybe it's a manpower issue. Maybe it's, I don't know. Just, I, we can talk about yeah. it. In, in, you know, yeah. I think, I think there's a really good debate there and especially it will probably dive into how effective is our civil service and does it have the right amount of people in it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, mean, I think our civil service has a lot of people in it. <laughs> no, but I, I mean in terms of the right people who are in yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. Like, I, yeah. I feel like, I said something shocking, like 80% of the civil service is over the age of 45. Yeah. I think true. even older, like yeah. 50, it's, it is ridiculous. It's very old, yeah. Um, and especially when we're developing plans for like young people's mental health, yeah. um, like, like this plan here, or even schooling. Like, obviously you have experts within those fields who are mm-hmm. feeding into that. And you obviously you'll have people who have had children themselves and who have went through the process and obviously understand it. But when you're, I don't know, 30, 40 years out of school yourself, you know, how, 
yeah, you can have a recent understanding for your own children, but to have yeah. that lived recent experience, I think, is invaluable. I agree. Like, you yeah. know, and to have potentially younger people, you know, under the age of 30, who are there willing to contribute to policy. They might not know all the answers. They're still young in their careers. Like, obviously, us, we're in our mid-20s, and yeah. we still know nothing, really, in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. But it, it, you support those people within the civil service with older minds, take their ideas, help to develop it, push them in the right direction. Um, I think there's a really good uh, discussion to be had there about strategies to civil service. Yeah. Is, is it working here? How, does it, yeah. um, How effective is it? That, that could be done for a future pod, obviously. Yeah. Um, James hates old people. That's what I, that's mm. all I heard from that. No, I love them. I just think we should hear more from younger people. <laughs> <laughs> you voice and I will love to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving on. High Street Voucher Scheme. Uh, coming out next month we're all getting 100 quid woohoo what are you going to spend on um, I don't really know um, no one knows I've asked so many people and now they're like I don't know I, do, I need some <laughs> I need some new clothes but that's true the thing is I don't want to spend my high street voucher scheme in a massive corporation Pre-mark. no I don't want to spend them the likes of Primark I don't want to spend it in like UK wide national stores like JD McDonald's. I don't want to spend the McDonald's. <laughs> I want to spend. I, I honestly, my aim is to spend yeah. it somewhere local. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and I classic football shirts might be my top spot at the moment. Yeah, but I haven't been in there yet. It's amazing. I assume I would like it. Beyond that, I shout out for any <laughs> classic football shirts in Saint Field Market. Yeah. Go there now. It's amazing. Yeah, I just. I want to spend it local and yeah. I really want to spend it with a local business but I'm struggling pick what <laughs> I'm struggling want. to pick what I want yeah. what about you if you thought about what you're going to spend yours on yeah I mean it's funny remember at adult 100 pounds doesn't just you know, it's doesn't hit the same it doesn't hit the same <laughs> like imagine being like 16 and someone giving you 100 pounds that's a fantastic segue because <laughs> that's what uh, what that's what Sinn Féin's <laughs> Kiva Archibald she wants the hundred pound to go to sixteen and seventeen year olds, because yeah. she believes pretty much her argument was that these are people who legally can leave school and can be in full time work. Yeah, they have national insurance numbers. Some of them are contributing to society via tax. Awful way to judge somebody's contribution to society, but hey ho, mm. yeah. it is one of the factors. Um. That's her argument in saying that they've been free so much as well, like every other age group, why yeah. shouldn't they be allowed to access this money? I thought, personally, I think it's a very good argument for it. And I think, why not? Yeah. Um, do you have any opinions on why we should not really be giving 16, 17 year olds 100 pounds? Or do you think, do, do you agree with Ms. Archibald that we should be giving them that money as well? Um, I, th- I feel, I, I agree on, on grounds of like, you know, if, if they are people who are, like, out of their parents' house and are, you know, you know, actually doing stuff, but then I think it's stranger if they are, like, still kind of just in their parents' house and still just, you know, chilling out, just not paying any tax. And, you know, I, I feel like if you make the, if you make that distinction, then I feel like I, I'm pretty fine with it. And then to a certain degree, I'm also fine with it if you just give it to every 16 and 17-year-old and they're like, I don't really... It's not really scam off my, you know. <laughs> oh, what are they going to spend it on? Like trainers? Like probably I will as well. Yeah. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of other dumb stuff that young people buy. Fidget spinners. <laughs> I don't know music. Music. 
No, they're all that's three. Good. That's yeah, good. that's good. See, we're we're all well, actually. If the, if a young person buys music, that's surely. I seen a young person like. I seen a young person. We're young as well. God damn it! Yeah. I seen like a teenager buy like two CDs. Uh, yesterday, I thought that was kind of crazy. That is kind of weird. Like, why would you? Like, I bought CDs like up until a few years ago, but like you, you were still buying CDs up until a few years ago. Why? Because <laughs> I like music. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but like what? Yeah, I know. I get why when you have streaming. This. Yeah, and you can just like if you're gonna like buy like a like a cool version, you know, just buy like a vinyl. So yeah, like, true. Well, I, I did a buy vinyl as well. Yeah. It was just some stuff was hard to get. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. No, I do remember you saying about getting like cassettes from like weird. Ah uh, yeah, I have a few cassettes as well. That was a dumb buy. Don't buy cassettes. No. Um, I need to try sell them off to <laughs> some idiot. But yeah, no, I, f- I think it's a good argument. I also think why not? It's yeah. I, I think it's a weird distinction between that sixteen to eighteen year old bracket, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially for those that are outside of a. Uh, Outside of education, really, you know, yeah, why, why, not, why not help them? Um, yeah, moving on, I guess. Um, this is something you want to talk about, you know, more about it than I do is the asset recover, asset recovery community scheme. What's that about, Matt? Uh, so to put it in the most simple terms, it's basically whenever people, you know, you know, whenever, uh, whenever the uh, let's say the police uh, sees, um, like assets, assets from like yeah. assets, and then uh, you know you sell them on or whenever I, stuff. I don't know if it's also whenever stuff gets reboot and I guess sold on. I don't know whether that counts towards it, but I imagine whenever the police you know see stuff and sell it on, and you know whenever these kind of things come through, you know, whenever you take whenever someone obviously take it's basically whenever someone takes something from someone else mm-hmm. and then, you know, then it gets seized and then you get to sell it on. That 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 this scheme is looking to get that money which you know has been attained from these items. Yeah, and then put it back into like the community, and like put it back into like kind of where the thing was originally taken from, I suppose, mm-hmm. to like actually see it, see the money filtered back into that area, which I mean is like a pretty easy thing to support. Again, I feel like we've talked about three things that are generally pretty easy to support. Yeah, in the past, it's, it's, like, it's hard when we both agree on them at, th- at times as well. We're just there like, yes, this is yeah. this is a good thing. I like this. Yeah, well, I, I, people don't really need to listen to what our direct opinions and what we think of the policy. It's it's for them to hear it. Mm. We're just giving our take as well, which helps. Yeah, Yeah. no, I think it's a good idea Um. so far. I would like to read into a bit more myself in case there is some decent arguments for it being against it. I'm sure it's, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been done by the Department for Justice, so you'd hope it'll be done. I I think they're actually taking application applicants for it like right now, so I'm pretty sure it's like it's a it's an wholly done thing. I assume. Right. Okay. Okay. It's not just like a idea. You know okay. what I mean? I I will. We need to look into the. Yeah, the I mean, it's another one where it's like done literally today, and we've both been working. So. <laughs> so yeah. Um. People not have done it a couple of days beforehand. And just yeah. Made it which easy is. For us. We won't go into too much detail, but we're hoping to make this uh, podcast more professional very, very soon, which will hopefully give us more time to put into this. Yeah. Um, which will be good and hopefully deliver help delivering a higher standard. Yeah. A podcast and and you know make it more more worth our time to make this the best it could possibly yeah. be and also put a more so level with with uh, proper professional journalists which we aren't at the moment wink wink nudge nudge yeah. <laughs> um, can't tell 
Hmm? If you can't tell, if you not. can't tell already that we are that we aren't, but we soon yeah. will be. Um, I think last topic we're going to go a bit international, like we always do for these roundup podcasts, which I, I quite like because yeah, allows, something different. Yeah, something different. Um, do do you want to open it up and uh, discuss what's happening over in Ukraine? Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, so I don't. Well, how where where do you even start with the story? Um. Do you start with, with uh, Russia once entered a little bit of land called Crimea? and Yeah, back in 2014. Crimea. Back in 2014. Was it 2014? Yeah, that's how long ago it was. Wow. Um, yeah, so 2014, Russia enters Crimea. Ukraine's like, I don't really like you doing that because that's our land. Yep, Crimea um, is historically part of, part of Ukraine. Yeah, and it's, it's, it, it, it's kind of just been since then, Russia claims it. Mm-hmm. And the EU obviously says we don't believe that this is your land. This is, uh, you know, I think it's actually the first changing of borders in, in terms of like military changing of borders in Europe since, I mean, it, it must have been a good while, like. Since the Balkans, though? Probably since like the Balkans. Yeah, since the break so of Yugoslavia. Like Slavia. 20 years, no, 15 years, probably at that point. No, 90s, like 20 odd years. So, like, yeah, 20 odd years. 20, 25 odd years. Yeah, so it. it it kind of then obviously became a game of you know the international community going yes we agree or no we don't agree with with this but it, notably from the eu ever since then the eu's kept tariffs on on russia you know in kind of a big way and it's actually remained keeping those tariffs on in a, in a way that a lot of people kind of thought wasn't going to happen yeah people thought like the tariffs are going to go away at some point but they've actually been very kind of resolute in keeping them um and and following that all of this kind of to bring it more recently kind of became a bit more of a news story whenever i believe russia kind of started bringing more troops in and kind of reinforcing and then you had the international community kind of saying we don't we don't agree do do that with and then there was kind of the summit and you know ukraine said well we're not having this you know yeah it it was an interesting summit for a lot of ways um ukraine have very close links with the european union they're not eu member they're not a EU member state yet. They mm-hmm. were on the path to be until a recent presidential change back in twenty fourteen. Yeah, and then it was only recently when they elected uh, a comedian as president. That's not a joke. Go look that up. Um, he's very much pro EU, but he is. It's towing some of the Russian line. It's a very difficult geopolitical situation yeah. that's happening there. But Crimea, ever since Ukraine uh, became an independent state thirty odd years ago. Um, Crimea has been part of them. 14, the war happened. Russia has annexed it. They claim it as their own. They've invested heavily into building a bridge. I think 2.6 billion to connect it from the Crimea Peninsula to the Russian mainland. But the interesting thing here was at the summit the other day was the notable absence of two of the biggest leaders in Europe. Angela Merkel of Germany and Macron, President of France. And the reason why that is so interesting is when you look at the geopolitical situation within Europe and Russia, the main export Russia has is Gazprom, which for all you football fans, a very big sponsor of the Champions League, multiple football teams. It's a gas company. What Gazprom have done, this is the greatest form of Russia's soft power, which for those of you who don't know what soft power is, it is the ability to coerce other states to become more like you due to what you have 
It's non-direct military intervention, essentially. And this is what Russia has mastered within the last 20-odd years since the fall of the Soviet Union. Some historians will argue that they've been using soft bar for a lot longer. Um, but what Russia has been able to do here is entice um, cheap energy, which the world desperately needs right now, into Germany. They've built massive gas pipelines throughout all of Europe into the Balkans, which is a new strategic area for it, up to the Baltics, such as Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, new pipelines are going there, straight through to France and Germany, which is why France and Germany were not there, is my prime reason. As they have a very difficult uh, deadline with Russia here. You don't want really to upset them too much because you don't want your gas to stop at any second. You might be thinking, well, you know, the Russians have obviously invested so much money to this but the reason they have is to make Germany and France reliable on their energy and if you can control another country's energy source you have complete power over them Russia has done this in the past historically they've done it with uh, Moldova um, what happened in the early 2000s Moldova had elected a new president very anti-Russian was going to unite the country um, which have currently has a separate state within it uh, which is very pro-Russian, very pro-communist, still has a lot of the imagery about it today, 20, 30 odd years later since the collapse of the Soviet Union. What it effectively was able to do was cut off all gas supplies to Moldova in the early 2000s, causing the country to turn massively on its current president at the time. Now, I'm not saying such a thing could happen with France or Germany, but in liberal democracy, voters will always know when gas prices are hiking up. We've seen the French population historically riot over the rise of gas and petrol. It's a very good soft power tactic by Russia. And it's something they played brilliantly. And I'm surprised such great uh, nations, Germany and France, have fallen directly into it. And with the annexation of Crimea, we can give it all the talk. But when two of the biggest leaders in the EU aren't there... It sends a message that Russia have nearly won this conflict in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's my take yeah. on that. Um, you think they? You think they're close to winning it? Genuinely, so yeah. Russia, Russia has done so well uh, within the past ten years. I would argue of soft power, without direct military intervention, yeah. being able to manipulate states. If you believe the news, especially within the American election, being able to, you know, share fake news. Um, across social media and change so many Americans' minds about what's really happening in America and yeah. causing distrust within their own population. Yeah, I mean, they're... I don't know, do you know, do you know the, the stories about kind of one of Putin's kind of big spin doctors? No, but I'm interested to hear it. Sorry, there, there's... There, there's this, I don't remember his name, which is unfortunate. Um, but one of his big spin... I don't know, I, I believe he's a spin doctor. He, he used to be a, a director of plays, I believe. He used to be he used to be quite avant garde in his plays. <laughs> so what he did was he kind of he kind of introduced kind of, kind of the idea of of directing and into uh propaganda I suppose you would say. Was he doing this um pre fall of the Soviet Union? No, he was doing it for Putin effectively. Oh right, so we're so talking past, past ninety one. Yeah, yeah, past ninety one. So so what effectively he's been doing is. Stuff that he he would do is like he will fund an opposition group and then leak the fact that he's funding the opposition group 
to make it so that you can no longer... You, you see the opposition group and say, oh, Putin's funding the opposition group. So you don't have any trust in the opposition group now. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, and he, he, will, he will do this, you know, he's done it multiple times. He'll fund, you know, neo-Nazis and then leak, leak it, and then he'll fund, like, environmental groups, and then he'll leak it. <laughs> it it kind of just, it, it, it all, like, incorporates into, like, an idea of, like, we can't, like, trust anything. That's incredible. Yeah, like, you can't, you can't, everything kind of, like, it becomes, like, this, uh, trying to, like, decipher what is real. I'm actually gobsmacked because <laughs> I think this is so yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's not brilliant in the sense of, you know, intelligent. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely intelligent. And, you know, obviously then whenever you look at the American election, you're there like, oh, right. So even if, like, they didn't do all this stuff which they're talking about, yeah, maybe they just, you know, they're probably... All, they might also just be doing it to, to you know... So, 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 so destruction and, and all that. But then you're there like, but did they even do that? So it all just becomes like a, a game of I don't know. Yeah. No, that that that's actually amazing. Yeah. Um, they're sneaky boys. Sneaky boys indeed. But yeah, no, Russia and gas lines very incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, Gazprom is their greatest state power. Yeah. And I think when you're watching the likes of Champions League and some football teams that have the Gazprom sponsor, just always remember that for them, it's helping them to improve their image, put a, a friendly face on it. We're never yeah. going to be able to go to Russia. Hmm? We're never going to be able to go to Russia. You ever think about that? Why? Because if they ever hear this, we're dead. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I really want to go to Russia too. I want to go to Moscow. I ain't St. Petersburg. I ain't going there, mate. <laughs> oh, well, sure. Well, I'll attack China next, you know. Yeah. Even though I want to go there, but sure. Look, I think that wraps it up nicely for this week. Um, thank you all for listening. Matt won't be here next week, sadly. No. Um, we'll, I'll have a guest speaker on, uh, which will be really nice. Uh, yeah. Not saying that you're not nice, <laughs> but it'll also be really nice to have somebody else on. Look, thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you again next week. <laughs>